0: Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is presented by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides 24 7 personalized insights around your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. Whoop has helped runners of all backgrounds train smarter and recover faster so they can get to the starting line healthy and hit some new PRs. Now, listen, I didn't get the PR that I wanted or even come close at the Trials of Miles New York City qualifier, and I got my butt handed to me by a 57-year-old. But I've got all the data now so I can go back to the drawing board and figure out what went wrong. In fact, I saw that I was only 32% recovered going into that race, so I demand a rematch. Whoop doesn't get your splits or mileage, but instead focuses on the other 23 hours of the day when your body is getting ready for that next run. Every day, it gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like your resting heart rate, sleep, and respiratory rate so you know if you're going to crush that workout and if the legs are feeling good. I've seen Nikki Hiltz, Joe Kovacs, Drew Hunter, and a slew of other professional athletes wearing it. Now, it's your turn. Join now for free. WHOOP is offering 15% off with code SIDIUS at checkout. Go to WHOOP, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter SIDIUS at checkout to save 15%, sleep better recover faster and run faster get to that next starting line healthy with Whoop looks like we've got some new backers on Patreon ahead of this week's episode so thanks to Mars 98 Dan Nolte and David Greenberg for dishing out a couple bucks to support the Sidious Mag podcast here's how you can think of it it's like getting me a cup of coffee for bringing you the show weekly or keeping you company maybe while it's your uh, run your commute or while you're working so Thanks to the supporters on Patreon, we're going to the Olympic trials, and we're going to have lots of fun plans for those two weeks, so support us over at patreon.com slash SidiousMag. Another way you can show your support is by picking up a sweater, a crew neck, a t-shirt, whatever, at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. My guest for today's episode is Valerie Konstein. As I record this on June 11th, she is the United States' third fastest steeplechaser heading into the Olympic trials with a personal best of 925 That's also good enough for number 14 in the world for 2021. She is a graduate of the University of Colorado and now competes for the Tracksmith Amateur Support Program while being coached by Mark Wetmore and Heather Burroughs. We'll be featuring a couple more Tracksmith athletes before we kickstart our daily podcast series live from Eugene. That's Trials Talk with Chris and Kyle presented by Tracksmith. Kyle and I will be bringing you a show every day, recapping the biggest performances and surprises from each day of the trials, and the women's steeplechase will certainly be one of them. Do not sleep on Val for that third possible spot on the Olympic team, since there's still a few question marks around Colleen Quigley, since she hasn't raced since February, or steepled since 2019, and that spot looks like it could be up for grabs behind Emma Coburn and Courtney Frick's, but then, then again, you just never know with a steeplechase race. In particular, that race has gotten super interesting in recent weeks because of some big performances by Val, Mel Lawrence, Marissa Howard, Leah Fallon, and a slew of collegiate athletes kind of getting closer under that Olympic standard. So I can't wait for that race in particular. For now, let's get to know Valerie a little bit better. So without further ado, here she is. All right, Val, welcome to the city of Smag podcast, and from what I hear, this is your first ever podcast interview. Is that right?
1: yeah, that's actually that's actually correct.
0: So one week to go until the start of the u s Olympic trials, how are you feeling?
1: Feeling really good. um we've been working really hard, and I'm excited to see all of this hard work kind of come together at this big race
0: so th- it's been a breakout season for you, and c- I very quietly you know, sitting at number three in the steeplechase, heading into the trials, number 14 in the world. I was just looking at the like, at the list, your eyebrows just went up. I mean, so how, how much of all of this has kind of like come as a surprise to you?
1: I had no idea what my world ranking was. So that's kind of funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I just really love to run. And so being able to see all that hard work kind of just pay off and being able to run fast is just the best thing ever. So excited.
0: So let's, let's dive back, I guess, to the very beginning and give some background for, for people who are fairly unfamiliar, I guess, with, with your story. When does the sport come into play? And I guess like for you, a lot of the familiarity with your name comes from being a part of like the CU Boulder team that won uh, the cross-country national championship and you had your own uh, fair share of success as a steeplechaser there. But I guess kind of like to uh, summarize, I guess, those, those first early chapters for us. I mean, what did that look like?
1: yeah so college was was amazing. I had amazing teammates, some of the best coaches in you know the u s. but I really struggled with a lot of health issues, um, both you know physical health, like injuries and mental health. And so being able to kind of step away from college and even the pandemic year, a lot of healing took place. And now, a year after two years after college, I'm in a really good place physically and mentally. And I think that being happy and healthy has just made a huge difference.
0: So I guess when you mentioned sort of like a little bit of like the mental struggles, I mean, it's whatever you're comfortable sort of sharing, but um, it's been a big topic of conversation, I guess, within the past year. Alexi Pappas, you know, with her book and just like the piece that she came out with in the New York times, it was sort of like, you, as an athlete, you shouldn't stray away from treating uh, mental sort of injuries the same way you would treat physical injuries. So, kind of, what uh, were some of the bumps along the way?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, a kind of, um, it's it's actually super common. I think a lot of women have been open about it too. I know that Grace and Murphy Murphy's been really open about her eating disorders in the past, but I actually did suffer from some eating disorders early on in college. So you know, freshman and sophomore year, there was a lot of pressure to be good. And I kind of saw that as a shortcut. And I did end up qualifying for nationals in the steeplechase that year. But shortly after that success, uh, making it to nationals, I actually broke my foot because of bone density problems. And so then after that, I had to take a lot of time off. And, you know, I transitioned straight from eating disorder into some depression, which was horrible it you know when you can't run and you're not really looped in at practice and you don't get to see your friends every day and school's really hard it's just easy to fall into these really bad cycles and so then my junior year i kind of was dealing with that and i had another injury my junior year and uh then kind of going into my fourth year of college i started to feel better things got better and. I was able to kind of take that momentum into my fifth year. And that's when we won the national championship in cross country, which was amazing. And I was a second time All-American in the steeplechase in outdoor. So it was a long road. And I think I'm finally far enough removed from all those mental health problems where I can really focus on being happy and my physical health too, so I'm I'm really happy that other women have kind of been open about their mental um, illnesses so that it's easier to share my own.
0: Kind of overcoming that eating disorder it looks so different for every single person. It's not, there's no one, you know, formula that fits for every single person. So I guess for you, where did you kind of look to um, kind of get a little bit of not just inspiration, but help along the way?
1: Yeah. Um, It was kind of, for me, a lot more introspective because I was suffering with my eating disorder basically from like 2015, well, 2014 to 2016. And I kind of just had to let go of these ideas that I thought were going to make me better. Um, It really helped to have teammates in college like uh, Danny Jones and, you know, Kayla Sligman and, you know, all of those women that were in that class, they were really strong and had really good heads on their shoulders. And so none of them really were suffering in that way, and so it was great to be able to talk to some of those women and realize that you don't have to take that shortcut that you can you can be good without being skinny and I didn't really learn about these other women until I had already kind of recovered from my own eating disorder. But now that that information's out there, and now that there's so many people who are open about it, I really hope that the younger generation can reach out and just ask questions.
0: Mm -hmm. Because it's always interesting, especially, I mean, when you pointed out to that kind of window of time. Especially when a name like yours is popping off before the trials, it's sort of the question that you know pops into some, I guess, like analysts and pundits' head. Is like, where was this person four years ago? So, kind of, can you take us back to 2016 trials? Like, where were you at, sort of, at that point in your career and uh, your development as an athlete?
1: Yeah, in 2016, I let's see. At that point, I think I had I I had a time. That was qualified for the olympic trials but i was actually injured at that time during that summer and so it wasn't really an option for me to even attempt to go to that trials and that was kind of a wake-up call for me like hey if i want to do this i have to be healthy to show up on the date to be able to run um but also at the time you know i was still coming out of some of that depression and so There was a lot of ifs like, oh, do I still want to do this after college? Am I going to want to keep doing this or after college? Do I just need a break? Um, And luckily, those next basically, you know, two years of college, two and a half years of college, I was really able to feel better about myself and get to a point where I really was excited about competing post collegiately
0: especially at the University of Colorado with, you know, just the team success you guys have, uh, especially in cross country. But for you in particular to compete in the steeplechase, that's got its own sort of allure and tradition uh, just because of the likes of, you know, Jenny Simpson, Emma Coburn, and like Shalaya Kip, who have come through the doors of Colorado and then gone on to compete at uh, Olympics and world championships and have success at that level. What was, I guess, that like being part of, you know, the University of Colorado, like steeplechase sort of tradition?
1: Great question. So it's kind of funny. Mark Wetmore actually recruited me as a steeplechaser because I guess he saw like some kind of potential in my high school um, running because I hadn't done a steeplechase until I got to college. But that's the reason I was there was to do it. And I really had no idea what the event was. And I had no idea who Emma or Jenny was like when I came on my recruiting visit, Mark was like, Oh, and there you can see Emma and Jenny, like Olympians and all Americans and national champions. And I just had no idea. I was so clueless. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, But then, you know, they're just everywhere, like all over the athletic department, you just can see their legacy. And so I tried to never think of like, oh, these are big shoes to fill. Kind of just like, well, we'll see what happens. And it is being, it is tough being compared to some of these women because they're, like Jenny's the OG, you know? (laughs) Like nobody is as good as Jenny was in college. And even still today, she's been doing this for over a decade, right? And even Emma too, she's paved the way for steeplechase like it wasn't this cool sexy event to do until emma made it so right and so i don't want to compare myself to them and it's cool to have them around and ask them questions if i ever need it but i think that'd be too much pressure to try and like fill those shoes so to speak
0: and so you kind of did have to just put your trust in Mark and Heather's hands. And I guess Billy Nelson as, as well, having his own sort of his, being an Olympian in the steeplechase as well. So you were, you were in good hands. How did you see that sort of development, you know, kind of uh, happen over time with the steeplechase? Because it it, it, the funny thing, looking at your personal bests over time, it's just like they come in chunks.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It it was pretty fun. I mean, I think the first steeplechase I ever did at Potts, the CU home meet, I think I must have run like a 12-minute steeplechase or something like that. Maybe 11 minutes and 50 seconds. And then, you know, I think by next race at Mount Sac, I had run maybe like 11 minutes and 15 seconds or something. Um and I think the best part was Mark and Heather had so much patience they they just knew that I was like a diamond in the rough and I just needed to adjust. And for some people, the CU adjustment takes no time at all. Like, you know, John Drussell came in immediately from high school and was killing it, right? He was, I don't know if he was a cross country All-American that year, but the team got second place thanks to him. Um, but for me, you know, it really did take a long time. And I just had to, trust Mark and Heather. And luckily the training worked for me for the most part. And all I had to do was show up. And now the success is kind of coming, which is really fun.
0: Being all American in cross country and helping them win the two thousand and eighteen cross country title must have been I think maybe one of the biggest highlights of of your career there i When I asked danny jones uh, when I had her on the podcast a couple a year ago, I think around this time, I asked her kind of what made that team so special to be a part of, so i'm curious from your perspective the same thing
1: yeah, that team was probably. I mean I'd been on the team for 4 years and that team my 5th year was a once in a lifetime team. We had all the right puzzle pieces fit together and we had a really great energy amongst us. Um we were competitive obviously but everyone was kind of there wasn't animosity between any of the women on the team which can sometimes happen with, you know, only 7 seats available and uh Everyone just had immense respect for each other. And we knew that we had to go get a job done. So we were really serious leading up to it. Like that was everyone's goal. We had talked about it and it was very clear that that was the goal. And everyone showed up that day. There wasn't a single person that had a bad day. I mean, I probably had the worst day there (laughs) that day and I was still an All-American. And so it was just... It was great. And finishing the race after I had crossed the finish line, I was so panicked because I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know where anyone was or how we finished. And then seeing five women already on the other side of the finish line, I was like, "Okay, we definitely did it.
0: How do you then take that excitement and sort of success and like bottle it up and then have to apply it to individual sort of accomplishments? Because then you really went after it in the steeplechase your, your, your fifth year
1: yeah and my fifth year that second semester my fifth year it was not all butterflies and rainbows like that first semester um the indoor season unfortunately was a wash for me because i actually got mono and so i had to take a month off training and so that really threw a wrench in the system and then in march I actually got hit by a car. and so Yeah, I read I that to...
0: online, and I thought, I was like, There's th- I, I need to hear this story.
1: <laughs> so, it was pretty unfortunate. I was just biking to class, and then this person just didn't look and just ran right into me, and unfortunately, I had to go to the ER in the ambulance, which kind of sucked, and then it, I, I definitely had a concussion, and so I was suspended from going to practice for a couple weeks, and I tried to do stuff on my own, but obviously I lost some fitness, um, because of that accident as well. And so then, you know, I only had like a month of training before PAC 12s at that point. And so I just really had to put my head down and, and just work as hard as I could with what I had. And obviously that I was able to win PAC 12s, which was amazing, such an honor, like, you know, all the women who had done it before me in the CU uniform, I was really happy to have accomplished that. Um, But then at Nationals, I think between the heat and my lack of fitness because of you know sickness and the accident, I just didn't do what I went there to do. I was really hoping to give some of those women a run for their money, like Allie Ostrander and Charlotte Prouse. And then it was amazing to see, you know, Steelman do so well, as well as Erica Burke. And so some really, really good women beat me that day. And it kind of was frustrating. And I realized at that moment that, you know, you have to have some consistency to be able to put it together on those big days. And that's what I'm hoping to do now.
0: Because of the interruptions in that final outdoor season, I guess like, was that just another motivating factor to just continue giving it a shot post-collegiately because that's the big question so many people face is like what's gonna really make it worth it to give this thing at that point you're maybe looking at least one more year through 2020 but now then you know the circumstances change and you have to really stretch it out at least two years but now I mean like it looks like that decision did end up paying off
1: yeah thank goodness it did for me um I was really hungry after NCAAs I was really disappointed because I had finished fifth the year before. And I really wanted to do better than that. Like at least fourth or third, or even like I said, give those top two women a run for their money. Um, and so to not be able to do that, I was just, I was so hungry to race again. And so I took some time off, but unfortunately I actually got injured again. Um, in, in that fall of 2019 and into 2020, a little bit, I kind of like fractured my calcaneus a little bit and had a torn planter. And so that was awful. But luckily I got healed and then it was the pandemic hit and we weren't sure what was gonna happen. And thank goodness, honestly, for the pandemic, because I would not have been ready. I had only been running for a couple months. Um, you know, which would have I had been running since December and uh I really needed more time than that to get ready for the trials and I had a race I raced at the Nashville um what was it music city meet mm-hmm. that was in 2020 I raced a 5k and I was kind of disappointed in that finish as well so that just made me even hungrier for this season and I had another disappointing uh race in this February in 2020 I went down to Arizona and uh, ran a 3k flat 3k nine minutes and 25 seconds. (laughs) And I was really disappointed in that as well. And so I've just been like, you know, starving for a good race. And, uh, that's why I'm just so excited. Um, for, for everything that I've been able to do in these past couple of months, it's just been icing on the cake.
0: What are the conversations like with, uh, Heather and Mark, as you try and continue to give this thing an honest shot, because I think I remember from when I spoke to Danny, he was fairly quick with like pulling the plug on the indoor season during the pandemic and then kind of like regrouping from there. So, but then again, like it's sort of like, you know, that's, that's Sage and and Joe and, and, and Danny where it's like for them, it was very clear, like post collegially pro pro life is happening. But then for you, I guess, how did you approach that conversation?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I was very transparent with Mark and Heather after my outdoor season, that I wanted to keep training and they were very transparent with me that they would give me a chance. Basically the conversation was Val, we'll give you two years. And if you can put something together in two years and you can show us that you're making improvements and that you're on your way to some post-collegiate success, we'll keep you around. And the injury was a major hiccup and I'm sure that they were had as much doubt as I did, um, with that first injury out of college. But then when I was able to pull things together and put some really solid blocks of training together, um, and then after my first couple races, I think that any doubt that they may have had hopefully has been washed away.
0: <laughs> and then at the same time, it's a conversation I've had with, um, a couple of runners now where, They're, for the most part, unsponsored. How do you sort of go about then budgeting, I guess, for this extra year because, you know, Going out to Nashville or to Texas or wherever it is to chase these times, it's, it's not cheap. In addition to, you know, paying for the race entry, it's the hotel, it's the flight. And then you're really just taking a risk on yourself. You're part of the Tracksmith Amateur Support Program. You've got a full-time job with Stride. They used to sponsor uh, this podcast as well. So, I mean, how have you made it all work behind the scenes?
1: Yeah. So luckily I've always been pretty good at saving money. Um, and I have some pretty big financial goals and so it's, it's kind of been able to fit in well and you're right. This is kind of an expensive hobby for me, but, um, it's, it's been totally worth it. I, I got some of the stimulus money from Mm -hmm. the, uh, pandemic. And so that actually really helped (laughs) because then it was like, Oh, I can spend $1,200 on this Portland track festival trip. And it's not really that big of a deal but um, I don't have any outstanding payments or anything. I mean, my car is a piece of crap. I paid for it in cash a couple of years ago. And you know, I live in a house that my boyfriend owns and he gives me a great deal on rent. So it's, it's been pretty easy for me to save money. And I know it's not the same for all other runners, but um, I really am a penny pincher too. So I've just been, this is my goal doing this, this post running, post collegiate running thing. And so I'm just trying to make all the right decisions to make it happen, including financial decisions.
0: Right, right, right. So this year in particular, it's it's been so fascinating when I pulled up sort of like your, your, the list of your results. We had the Rust Buster at Altitude, which, you know, kind of like doing it a little bit of poetic justice here. It was like... <laughs> You know, nine forty-two compared to the first ever time that you steeple there it looks, <laughs> yeah. looks really good. Yeah. And then from there dropping down to nine thirty-five, then nine twenty-five. You're cutting off at least seven seconds each time so far this season. If you continue that trend in about two weeks, you're on the Olympic team. I think.
1: I mean, I sure hope so. I mean, I was talking to my coaches the other day at the track, and Heather was like, "Val, we need five seconds." She was like, "We need five seconds. What are you gonna do?" To get that five seconds because at the end of the day it is on me to make that happen and i think i do have five seconds in me and i think that you know colleen better show up because there's a bunch of other people who are running for that spot i think if leah fallon has a good day she has just as good a shot as me as well as mel lawrence she's a gamer she's been there countless times putting it together so i think colleen better she better show up, and because we're all coming for her, that's, yeah, that's the truth.
0: I, I don't mean to stir up, you know, a little bit more drama in this event, but I mean, she just posted something yesterday on Instagram. I'm not sure if you saw it. Oh, it's I a, saw it. You saw Fuel it. Fuel for the
1: fire. Fuel for the fire. That's all in, I have to say.
0: It said in two weeks, I will, like when I make <laughs> yeah, my second I know what it Olympic said. Team. Was that sent to you? Did you scroll and see it? And then like, take me through when, when you first saw that post.
1: <laughs> so I looked at it and the first thing I saw, I was like, oh, wow, her hair looks really pretty. And then I read the comment and I was like, okay cool but the thing is is this is not a committee decision this isn't great britain this isn't germany this is the us the top three fastest people get to go i have the a standard so and so does mel lawrence and so does Leah fallon obviously emma has it and obviously courtney has it so there are five women right here who all have an equal opportunity to go and it's a steeplechase. Need not forget that. People fall down. There yeah. are barriers. There's a lot more to this race than just two-dimensional 5K or 10K. And I think that the last thing you want to do is count your chickens before they hatch.
0: Yeah. You, I mean, I think another reason why you might sneak under the radar here is because I think your steeplechase PR is faster than your flat 3K PR, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It, that's always been the case. I, I can't go more than a year without that being what happens, it's almost telling of what I'm supposed to do in the steeplechase because for some reason, I'm never really like that fast in the winter time. So if you look through my 3K history, I mean, I, I suck at flat events. I really do. And so whatever I can do in a flat 3K in February is a pretty good sign of what I could potentially do in the steeplechase in the summer.
0: mm mm-hmm so kind of back to you know kind of the point of of colleen in the race she's the big question mark and and like looking at it you know emma and courtney have put their stamp sort of with these performances that if they ran from the front they're going to comfortably you know have a little bit of space to work with but we just don't know what shape colleen is showing up in because she hasn't raced this entire time does that sort of change like the dynamic of your sort of race plan i know it's like it's two weeks to go anything can sort of happen between now and then, but is it, is that just a case where, you know, that pack of women that you said, the five of them just stay on Colleen for as long as they can?
1: Well, that's assuming that Colleen's going to even be in the mix because mm-hmm. we have no idea what's even going to happen. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Emma takes the steeple out, even the final at like nine fifteen pace, just to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff. And I could see Courtney going with her because I'm sure Courtney's in shape to be able to run at least 9.15 right now. And I would not be surprised if Mel Lawrence and Leah Fallon just try and do it. You know, as Prefontaine said, the best pace is a suicide pace, right? Mm -hmm. And so I could see that happening. And if Colleen's not ready to open up in a 9.15, I mean, that could be detrimental.
0: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that race has pr- like provided so much dramatics, you know, in that final lap. That I, if you would have told me a year ago, it maybe would have been, you know, same top three that we've been accustomed to. Now, this this injury and like the the lack of racing by Colleen throws the biggest question mark into into this race. That adds enough intrigue. I think that, I mean if she makes it, I mean, it's safe to kind of think like maybe at 80%, she could make it to the the finals. But when I had her on my podcast and she said she doesn't need to have her best day to make this team, I think that comment is a little outdated by now.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's a very confident gal. Yeah. You can definitely tell um, that she has a lot of confidence in herself, and I think that that's good. And that's one of the reasons why she's so entertaining on social media. But I think that you also have to be realistic. I mean, you look at um uh, even Courtney Ferrick's first steeplechase that she opened up with, she ran like a nine twenty-four or yeah. nine twenty-seven, something like that. And I mean, even Emma opened up in a of course Emma opened up in a nine oh eight, which is obviously very good. But, you know, I think that you're never gonna open up with like a super, super fast thing, especially if you haven't raced in a really long time. And a steeplechase is one of those races that's so different from any flat race you could ever imagine. I mean, my first steeplechase with actual competition was at um, Mount Sac and it was intimidating. Running in a pack, um, there was people falling down. It was dramatic. And I just think that, I think it's gonna be a fun race to watch and I would encourage anyone to tune in. Cause like you said, it's going to be dramatic.
0: I think so. So, so <laughs> at that meet in Portland, you were chasing Courtney, who's, you know, obviously the American record holder in the event. She's run nine flat, but kind of like only seconds ahead of you. What is, can you put us in your shoes and what goes through your head in a breakout race like that, that again, you know, for you, are you cognizant of the fact that this is going to be, you know, another 10 second PR because Faster competition tends to trend to drag people to faster times
1: yeah, um I had no idea where I was for that race, honestly. I was just trying to stay as relaxed as possible for as long as possible um, and so to be perfectly honest when when we were on that last lap, I wasn't sure if we were going to run the A standard. I had no idea because for some reason, I thought I heard someone say something to Courtney saying like, "Oh, nine, 27 or something. And I was like, oh crap, if she's 927, then, then I'm definitely not going to be under 930 for this. And so when I crossed the line, I didn't see the clock and I, I was kind of panicked. I was like, okay, I just wanted a PR. But um, then when it finally said 925, I was like, holy smokes, that's legit. And I kind of hope that I can have that similar attitude going into the finals at the Olympic trials. I hope that I can just stay as relaxed as possible and then just be able to surprise myself at the end. Um, yeah, that's what I'd like to do.
0: Watching NCAAs, I guess, I mean, this first round was super fast. I mean, are these college kids on on your heels and on your mind as well?
1: Uh, yeah, the college <laughs> kids have definitely been on my mind, um, especially after racing at Mount Sac. I was excited with that. I think I ran like a 9.36 or something, and I was really excited with that time. I was like, wow, that's good. But then, you know, at Pac-12s, you know the winner ran like a 934 or whatever and i was like are you kidding me i'm still getting my butt kicked by these college women and so that that definitely added some fuel to the fire i was like okay i have to at least be better than these like 20 year olds <laughs> like i've been sacrificing so much of my life for the past 2 years to make this happen i better you know at least be faster than these kids but i think that there are going to be some collegiate women who show up in the race at the Olympic trials and they're going to definitely put together some good times I think as well
0: I feel like life-changing doesn't even begin to describe what you making that Olympic team would be like
1: uh yeah that is that is a very big thing that I've been thinking about but also at the end of the day like I don't need that much attention. I don't want that much attention and I just want to run fast and I just want to try and beat people. And I just, I love this so much. And that's the only reason I'm doing it. There's no other motive. Yeah. It'd be cool to get a sponsorship. It'd be cool to get some free stuff, but that's not why I'm doing this. And so I think that at the, if I made it to the Olympics, it would just be an amazing opportunity to just get to run some more and so that's what I'm most excited about. And, mm-hmm. and to, you know, travel a little bit, because I haven't really been very many places in the world. Um, I, I did make one like junior worlds team when I was young and I got to go to China for that. But um, it'd be really cool to get to travel to run again. And so that, that would be the biggest thing for me.
0: The, so during the broadcast of this race, you know, hypothetically the finals, and, yeah. you know, they probably have, you know, research team that's doing, you know, their homework on every single competitor. You're hypothetically here in the mix, you know, with two laps to go in the finals. You've got hundreds of people probably at Hayward Field scratching their head. It's like, who is that? <laughs> what is like the, you know, the elevator sort of pitch or answer to that question uh when people are going to be wondering that, I guess, like, how would you summarize this and like, oh, yeah, she ran in Colorado, she's finally uh, coming to her own post collegiately. I mean, what else is there to to add that people should know about you? um, In case, you know, something like this happens?
1: I think I would really like people to know that I am a full time employee of a company that I do work 40 hours a week, that um, I have to make a lot of you know, sacrifices to have this opportunity. And luckily, you know, stride has been so accommodating, but there's not really much to know. And I, I don't know if I would even want people to know that much because I like my privacy, you know, and it's it's kind of nice to be able to not have, you know, accountability to fans. And I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't want fans, but it's kind of nice that there's no pressure where people aren't like, oh, Val, what's your skincare routine? Well. Like, <laughs> I'm glad nobody asks me those questions.
0: (laughs) I mean, it it could lead to the, I think Molly Seidel and I have had this conversation before where it's like before the trials, you know, she would just post, you know, blurry photos or whatever it was, iPhone quality photos on her Instagram. And now all of a sudden with 70,000 people like watching her every move, it's like there's a little bit more pressure to up the quality, up the humor and all that kind of stuff. So life comes at you fast in in those cases.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, if 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 I do make that team, I will have to step it up, you know, for people who are interested in my life, I guess. But uh, there's lots of great examples out there on the internet for me to base anything that I want to base off of. But for now, it's really nice to just be under the radar with, you know, no one staring at me all the time.
0: Definitely. All right. So I've got the final questions that I ask every guest on this podcast. Number one, what's the meanest thing you read about yourself on let's run.com?
1: Oh, I actually don't ever go on that website. Okay, So I, I have no idea. I've, and I the reason I don't go on let's run is because of that. <laughs> and so I am so glad that I haven't ever been on there. And I'm so glad no one who's ever been on there has ever forwarded any of that garbage to me.
0: Next one is, uh, what's the funniest drug testing story you've got?
1: Uh, funniest drug testing story. Okay, this is actually pretty hilarious. So for some reason, after I had run at NCAAs, I think in 2018 in outdoor, the first time I was an All-American, I hadn't run like super smoking fast or anything in the steeplechase, but I think it must have been a weak year because for some reason I was in the USADA drug testing pool. <laughs> And so you, being on the USADA drug testing poll is, being like on, is like being on probation, right? You have to tell them where you are all the time. And at first, I was really good about it because I wasn't going anywhere. And then in cross-country, we went to pre-nationals, and I forgot to update my whereabouts. And I get a call at 7 in the morning or whatever from a USADA person. They're like, okay, Valerie, we're outside your apartment in Boulder. Where are you? It's like, no, the One time that you saw the drug test me, I'm not there. And so that was really bad. And I was freaking out because it was the morning before the race. I was like, ah, oh, well. And Heather was like, well, you can't miss another one or else you're out of here. So that was, it was kind of funny, but it was also kind of terrifying.
0: No, for sure. So wait, you weren't able to get them to like come out to wherever where you guys were at prenats or anything like that. So just one strike. Oh man, to live with one strike is scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But then, but then I you know got off the drug testing list because a bunch of people ran faster than me. So hopefully now it's a fresh start because yeah, I actually need to reach out to USADA and figure out like if they need my
0: information but yeah it's it's like the uh it's an annoying compliment that you're good enough to be in the pool but at <laughs> yeah. the same time it's just this other thing that you have to uh constantly update but um yeah crazy crazy uh all right next one is where if you can go on a run anywhere in the world you said you'd love to get out and travel uh mm-hmm. with anyone from history Assuming they could hold a nice little conversational pace with you. Uh, they don't have to be a runner. They, could, and they don't even have to be a real person. They could be Harry Potter or whoever it is. Uh, where would the run take place and who would it be with?
1: I'm so glad you could say fictional characters yeah. because I think it'd be really fun to go for a run with Albus Dumbledore, actually. I just okay. finished watching the Harry Potter series and I would love to go. Um, I've always wanted to um, go to London, okay. England. Um And people have told me like, oh, it's not that great. But I think it seems cool. There's a lot of history. I mean, there's nothing old here in the U.S., right? And so it'd be cool to maybe go for a run. I don't know. I feel like Albus Dumbledore would know London pretty well, too. Yeah. So (laughs) go for a jog.
0: Make the team. Get to the Diamond League. There you go.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, get to the Diamond League. That would be cool.
0: Yeah. Last one. Uh, it's not running related whatsoever, but I just kind of have been asking guests since day one. Uh, you get 25 shots from half court on a full-size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots?
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. Because I am the least hand-eye coordinated person you probably could ever meet. If I threw the basketball, it would probably make it like five feet and then fall straight to the ground. So- I don't trust my ability at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I forget oh, it was, uh, Sean McGordy just told me, cause I, I think Elise Cranny texted me about it as well, that Jerry Schumacher attempted it and it took him to the 24th, I think shot to, to finally make it. So, you know, I think it's another thing too, as you get closer and closer to number 25 without making it, the pressure just ramps up and uh, somehow he still, he still came through. So yeah, but yeah, I don't, oh, wow. it, $25 million is not my price of freedom. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. Not worth it. <laughs> Val, it was so nice getting to know you. I'm, I'm really excited to share this with a bunch of people uh, because, you know, I think yeah, you're going to make some noise uh, in just a couple weeks. I guess like within, you know, ten days or so. However far we are from the first round of the trials, and so wishing you all the best. And I'll see you out in, uh, in Eugene.
1: Thank you so much.
0: A few last housekeeping things. Subscribe to the City of Smag Newsletter to get all of your running news in your inbox from me. I try and drop my knowledge with you weekly on all the best results, performances, and events that take place. This week, I examined why the conversation around Stefan Hassan's world record, which lasted only 54 hours before it was broken by Latsenebet uh, Gidey at the Ethiopian Trials in 2901. It's crazy. Why all of that feels a little bit different than when there was some skepticism around Almas Ayana when she did it at the 2016 Olympics. Plus, what track commentary could maybe learn from Formula One on discussing athletes competing in competitor spikes? I thought it's been fascinating to see some big performances when the logo doesn't match up on the kicks as well as the kit. So if you read the newsletter, you also know that starting next week, this podcast will become the feed for Trials Talk with Chris and Kyle presented by Tracksmith every day of the olympic trials we're bringing you a daily show recapping all of the biggest performances and shocks from the u.s olympic trials in eugene and i'm super pumped for it if you're digging all the content and want to show your support for sidious then hit us with a couple bucks and pledge your support over at patreon that's patreon.com slash your donations help us get to events covers hosting fees and lets us plan to do bigger things in the future So thanks to WHOOP for coming on as a title sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to WHOOP.com and enter code Sidious at checkout to save 15% off. Sleep better, recover faster, run faster, get to that next starting line healthy because races are coming back with WHOOP. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good.